welcome to episode 58 of Contested Catch. It's time for our week eight preview. We're taking a look at the DFS slate this weekend. We're talking about some best bets. Of course, we're talking about our bills. And before we get into any of that, happy Halloween to my shirted co-host today, Jeff. How's everything going with you on this spooky, uh, spooky Friday afternoon? No, it just doesn't quite hit the same this year. It just doesn't feel like spooky season, unfortunately. It doesn't? <laughs> Alas, I, f- I thought our listeners might get a kick out of um, hearing what Jeff's Halloween costumes have been the last few years. So, I mean, Jeff always goes for the sexy outfit. So three years ago, he was a nurse. Shout out Jake Balker, fr- a friend and fan of the show. Um, and Jeff, you know, of course, had the the skimpy little outfit on and and the stethoscope and all that. Um, two years ago, Jeff was a kitty cat. And oh, yeah, it was all leather, baby, all leather. And then last year, of course, Jeff was the sexiest outfit there is. Uh, and that was Josh Allen. So, Jeff, what is it this year for you? Who, who are you dressing up as? No, last year, I actually went as a pretty political theme. I was a uh, whistleblower. Uh, I don't know, probably, unfortunately might not be going out this year. If I do, I'll most likely just take my, uh, pirate, pirate outfit out from the drawers and, uh, you know, always down to plunder for some booty. Though I will say the, the eye patch is like actually pretty weird to wear for a whole night. Just no peripheral on that side. I believe it. Anyway, um, Jeff, before we get into all that good stuff uh, for this weekend ahead, let's first take a look back at last night's game, the Thursday night football game, of course, and that was Carolina versus Atlanta. Obviously, Atlanta pulled one off, uh, eight-point win, 25-17, and my my Thursday night preview in the contested catch-up was not very spot on this week. Um, that's going to happen. I'm okay with it. But um, So I picked Atlanta. All right, sorry, I picked Carolina and the over. So that didn't happen in either regard. But another thing that I discounted, Jeff, was Curtis Samuel. He was probably, of the main skill position players on both sides, he was probably the one that I was least interested in rostering. Maybe that's why he would have been a good play because maybe I was too biased based on past results. But I recognized in my write-up that Curtis Samuel has been getting solid rushing work. He's averaging three carries per game the last five weeks um, going into last night. But his like he had a 12% target share over the last three weeks. That's he had a lower rock score than the running back on his team, Mike Davis. That's really bad. I mean, that that means like if, if a running back has a higher rock score than a wide receiver, either that wide receiver isn't playing uh much or that running back or getting is much many looks or that running back is Alvin Kamara or just a really good receiver and being heavily utilized. And I guess in some ways all those are true, except for the running back being Alvin Kamara. So anyway, I thought it was pretty justified in, in not wanting to get a share of Curtis Samuel in my my uh, two picks that I made. Anyway, he had two touchdowns, one rushing, one receiving, uh, another three carries for him. And in a game that saw DJ Moore not really be used until the last three minutes, um, or he didn't have a catch until the last three Indefensible, minutes. by the way. Yeah, it is. It really, really, really is. 100%. He had six targets, which is actually more than he's had past couple games, but Still, like he didn't have a catch until the very like last last second drive, basically. Um, Jeff, what do you make of Curtis Samuel's emergence last night? And is this just a blip on the radar? Is this a product of the matchup? Or, you know, what's your takeaway here? I I think it's a little bit of both. You know, if assuming McCaffrey is back next week, I don't think we see him lined up in the backfield as much. But it is also, I think, a little signal that hey, 
you know, this is how he's like his skill set is best utilized. It's not as much as being just a full blown receiver, but more of a kind of like that hybrid running back receiver, which is how he was also deployed um, in college at Ohio, the Ohio State University. Don't want the Buckeyes coming after me. Um, and <laughs> I mean, we've seen it. It's kind of like positionless players become a little bit more of, I don't say the norm, but like we see it in San Francisco with Debo and Ayuk, and then um, Jacksonville a little bit with LaVisca Chanel. So I think we're going to see a lot more of these kind of hybrid running back receivers where, yes, their main position is receiver, but they have some of the running back skill set. And, you know, in some ways, they're going to be a lot more like explosive than the actual running backs on the team. Yeah, I mean, Curtis Samuel is 4-3-1 speed, man. I mean, there aren't many running backs, if any, in the league that have that level of speed. Um, he's, a, he's a little slight in terms of his frame, but still, he, you know, if you, have a, if you have it spread out so that the box is in that stack, then Curtis Samuel can probably find a lane. If he gets through that lane, that's where it's really tough to bring him down. That's why he deserves scheme touches. So I, I guess the, the takeaway from my end is that as long as his rushing – usage stays like around this level you know maybe like an average going down from three carries per game to two carries per game scheme touches like that it's it's been something that we've seen has uh, raised the floor of a player like robert woods and i think we're starting to see that more and more when healthy for debo samuel as well uh we already mentioned lavisca chanel same kind of deal so i think in general curtis samuel might have a higher floor than i was giving him credit for but the problem is, Jeff, he just doesn't get enough receiving work to really raise that ceiling to be anything that we can write home about. So that's my th- thoughts on Curtis Samuel. I mentioned the, the matchup. Atlanta had been shredded by pass games every week this season. Over 300 yards were passed against them uh, in every single game. That is, of course, until Teddy Bridgewater came to town. And Teddy, obviously, you know, he got injured in the second half. Um, P.J. Walker came in. XFL, great, all-time great. <laughs> um, and But it, it really didn't matter. For whatever reason, this Carolina pass offense, which had been kind of rolling. I mean, I thought Teddy had been looking better and better. I wrote as much in the catch-up, our newsletter. Um, but it just wasn't there. Is this an indication on Carolina? Is this an indication on Atlanta, maybe turning things around since they had coaching change? Or again, it's just, just an outlier and we shouldn't read too much into it. I think it's more of an outlier. I mean, Teddy also threw for 313 yards against Atlanta in week five. So um, I think just being one of those Thursday night games, it's always a little bit weird. The weather was awful. I mean, it was like complete downpour. And then, I mean, the absolute dirty hit on Teddy. Um, I mean, like that's suspension worthy uh, and just complete Bush League. Uh, I mean, so I don't put too much stock in it. I mean, I think it's just, you know, combination of those things. I think Teddy's fine. I don't think this defense is really going to be like that much better going forward. Um, you know, it's just just a game. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I'm with you. And the reason is I look at, you know, basically the production and the volume from every player in this offense in Carolina, that is. And it has been like the model of consistency. Like Robbie Anderson has been getting great volume, great receiving yardage, no touchdowns every single week. Uh, DJ Moore, less volume. I mean, he had 93 yards in three straight games to the to the to the number, you know, to the T. So uh, before last night, that is so. And then Mike Davis has just been a stud. Curtis Samuel's been like, I guess, okay when he's been getting the ball. Uh, Ian Thomas has been a non-factor. So last night there were just a lot of different things that just were weird. 
that that haven't been, I guess, consistent with what we've seen so far. So I'm with you. I think it is an outlier as well. Um, going to the Atlanta side of the ball, obviously, we saw Julio Jones continue to dominate since returning. That's a great sign. Uh, he definitely hasn't been looking his age. And I think that we can just continue to put the asterisk on anything that would otherwise slow a player down uh, because Julio Jones doesn't get slowed down except for soft tissue injuries, apparently. Um, Calvin Ridley went out with an injury. We'll probably touch on that on next week's episode once we get some more clarity and an update. But Todd Gurley, his role might be a concern yet again, Jeff. We saw him get like benched for a period of time, then have another late game, um, I guess, mental mistake where he went out of bounds when they were trying to run the clock out. Uh, that was obviously after accidentally scoring a touchdown, which is always just a weird thing to think about, but accidentally scoring a touchdown in week seven. Brian Hill came in uh, at parts in the game and had double-digit touches again, second time in three games, and he looked good. I mean, he was explosive. He outgained Gurley on seven less carries. Um, Todd Gurley did not get any uh, receiving work for the first time in a while. I actually wrote in the catch-up that he had been getting really solid receiving work. He was averaging four targets per game, none last night. Jeff, is Todd Gurley's role, which is driving his fantasy success to be like an RB2-level producer, is his role in question right now? Yeah, um, I think the one thing that kind of helps save him is he is does seem to be the clear uh, red zone goal line back and like touchdown equity or yeah, touchdowns will save his fantasy equity. Um, I also do wonder how much of this might have been a little punishment for uh, scoring that touchdown on Sunday. Um, I, did, I haven't had a chance to look up the snaps by half, but it seemed as though the first half was a lot more Brian Hill but then when the game was actually close in the second half is that Gurley was getting some of the higher leverage touches. Um, again, I'm not hundred percent sure. I haven't fact checked that yet, but uh, that was kind of my impression. So I wonder how much of it might've been a little, just like almost punishment for Sunday. Um, but um, yeah. And I mean, we still also have to note that he does have the like arthritic knee. So being on the short rest, there probably was a little bit of kind of like a load management type of deal going into it as well. Well, I got to give Kyle a shout out. Obviously, Kyle is uh, CCK underscore K Singh on Twitter. He's one of our our contributors. Um, Kyle's been a big Brian Hill fan. He has been selling Todd Gurley all season, it feels like. And so um, for Brian Hill to come in and look better than Todd Gurley again, I think that that uh, makes him a very interesting ad going forward. Um, Jeff, speaking of arthritic knees, <laughs> more so, let's get let's move on to our injury news section uh, and other updates. So we'll start with Michael Thomas. He's back at practice on Thursday. Uh, other players in in the wide receiver room are not looking likely to suit up. Like uh, Quez, um, not Quez, uh, Marquez Callaway doesn't look very likely to play, and he just had a decent role. So I think Michael Thomas is is actually pro- I would consider him probable to play in Week Eight, which is the first time in a while. Um, Jeff, expectations for Michael Thomas. Are you firing him up? No, I'd say he's probably more high end wide receiver too this week. If that, okay. I mean, it's also not an ideal matchup against the bears. Um, I mean, he's had two injuries this year, high ankle sprain to start. And then apparently hamstring, he hasn't been on like seen game action for basically the entire season. So who knows what type of rust there is. And I mean, the receiver position is just so deep. And I mean, Devontae Adams is pretty much a clear, like the wide receiver of one, but I mean, I, I'd take both Seattle receivers over Michael Thomas. Uh, so no, mm. like, I don't think he's like locked in top tier wide receiver at all until he goes out and proves that he's healthy and not rusty at all. 
That's fair. Um, I've seen kind of a dichotomy of opinions on Michael Thomas that like once he's healthy, of course, he's Michael Thomas. He's a top three receiver. And then I've seen other people. I think you and I are on this end of the spectrum, um, just generally more bearish on Michael Thomas, considering how much weight we put on uh, the high ankle sprain, potentially dogging him throughout the rest of the season. Also, just like general uh, pessimism about this passing offense, just not being what maybe historically we expect from New Orleans. Uh, Michael Thomas, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I actually had a couple of questions this week come in on Twitter about should I trade for Michael Thomas? Is this a good trade? And in, in all situations, actually, it was I think it was the right move to pursue a trade from Michael Thomas. But that was case by case. That was like looking at the wide receiver depth and and having uh, room to spare and, and, and depth to give up. Um, so it was the right move, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. He just doesn't feel like the play that you want, uh, as a top five wide receiver, top three wide receiver, just like the name would suggest. So, um, anyway, we'll move on now. Uh, there's a, uh, a quad of RB ones, I guess, instead of a trio. Um, there are four RB ones looking likely to miss week eight and starting with miles sanders aaron jones joe mixon's already ruled out and chris carson looks unlikely after he did not practice again on thursday um all the replacements had or all three replacements for the first three had solid week seven performances and in in the case of the seattle backfield they are diving deep man they they just signed uh, alex collins 26 year old feels like he's like 36 years old hasn't played at all since 2018 travis homer is a third string running back he didn't practice Carlos Hyde uh, came in in relief of Chris Carson in week seven. He hasn't practiced yet, so uh, very up in the air. I honestly would probably, if I'm just going to say anything about Seattle right now, I'll say probably fade the backfield. Uh, it might just be a huge committee with uncertain results. I probably wouldn't touch it. But in terms of the other three, all three replacements had a solid week seven performance. Let's rank them, Jeff. I'll start. I go Jamal Williams, Green Bay, obviously, Gio Bernard in Cincinnati, and Boston Scott in Philly. So that's how I would rank them going into week eight. Do you have any issues with that ranking? No, that sounds pretty reasonable. But um, I think you might be underselling DJ Dallas in Seattle a little bit. Uh, I mean, he's basically, if there's no Chris Carson, no Carlos Hyde, no Travis Homer, they're just signing other guys off the street. And DJ Dallas, his uh, best comparable on player profiler. Do you know who it is? I do not. Thomas Rawls. Oh, wow. That's a throwback. Right uh, I'm sure a lot, plenty of fantasy veterans are a bit familiar with Thomas Rawls. Um, you know, not not the uh, sexiest name, but he had a little spurt. And I mean, he was about to be a league winner until he broke his ankle. And I think it was the semifinals in like the first quarter. I mean, I know it crushed my championship hopes that year. But <clears throat> I mean, Rawls. 106 yards, two touchdowns in a game for the um, Seahawks and 161 yards and a touchdown in a postseason game. Like he's, he had flashes in that offense. So, I mean, not saying that the talent was anything spectacular, but uh, for DJ Dallas, he averaged a decent six yards per carry at the U. Um, athletically, nothing spectacular. But again, if he's the only running back really, with like experience in that offense and he's going to be logging 80, 90% snap share. I mean, it's not bad. And for his, for like a DFS side of things at like 4,000 something, he's 
basically as close to free square as we're going to get this week. He's 4,000 on the nose, which is like the bare minimum. And for, yeah, yeah, I mean, then for the season long redraft, I mean, you said there's so many injuries right now that some people might just have to throw them in. And I, I think it's fine. You know, would you rather play DJ Dallas or like LaMichael P. Ryan? Um, I mean, Piran just has a pretty trash matchup, but he at least saw 70% of, of the work in week seven. Um, DJ and- Dallas or David Montgomery? Montgomery. This is, this is my thing on, on DJ Dallas, Jeff. The problem is he's only seen four touches all year. He's a fourth-round rookie. He hasn't been given any work that would you know give us confidence in what role he might have if given a larger opportunity. I just don't think that we can project anything and with any sort of certainty. Like, is he attached to a good offense? Yes. Is this historically an offense that feeds whoever is behind the quarterback? Uh, you know, whatever running back that gets back there. Yes. And did they draft him despite already having invested in Rashad Penny, who still hasn't played this year uh, due to his knee injury from last year? Chris Carson, they already have locked in. They they brought in Carlos Hyde and they still drafted DJ Dallas in the fourth. So are those some good indicators? Absolutely. Do I feel at all confident that he is going to get work that would justify starting roster spot in week eight? Absolutely not. And so, I mean, these other guys that I already mentioned, the, the other three replacements are probably all already on rosters. So you make a good point that with all the injuries, there is a chance that someone might need to acquire DJ Dallas and, and fire him up. I hope you're not in that situation <laughs> because I think that is quite uh, quite a risky proposition. At the same time, like you said, DFS, dart throw, 4000 bucks for, for a potential starter. I mean, we saw Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson, I don't know what his uh, ownership was in week seven, but absolutely erupted. Um, and and made a lot of his opportunity before going down. You know, he had 117 yards and three touchdowns. So any other thoughts on those uh, replacement running backs? No, I think they're all basically the same situation as last week. And then just from the DFS standpoint, which we'll get into more, uh, they probably stop a little bit, but, you know, still a little bit on the cheaper side. Yep. This would be very fitting, Jeff, if A.J. Dillon were to erupt this week. I don't think it's going to happen, if I'm being clear. But uh that would really, I mean, it would simultaneously make me happy and crush me. <laughs> but anyway, um, let's move on now, Jeff. Uh, Julian Edelman is landing on IR. He's got a knee uh, issue. It's a bone bruise, apparently. Uh, that doesn't sound that great. I think it bodes uh, this injury and subsequent absence uh, bodes really well for the Pats lead running backs, uh, James White and Damian Harris. And the reason is, I think James White, I think there's a I don't really know that we see it enough, but I think there's a chance that James White actually gets used more as a slot receiver with Damian Harris actually in the backfield. You know, the same could be said for Rex Burkhead, theoretically, who is used all around the formation for the Patriots. They love to use him in versatile ways. Uh, But with that said, I really like uh, the remainder, the remaining skill position groups to just see even more volume. You know, at some point, I don't think Gunnar Oshevsky uh, who's now the presumed slot receiver is going to be on the field while James White is not on the field. That just doesn't feel quite like the the Patriot way. Uh, they feel like they'd, they'd make it do make do with the best talent that they have. And so, you know, we'll get a little bit more into this game. Obviously, they played the Bills this week. So just wanted to add that. Um, but Jeff, on the t- on the subject of New England, a little bit more uh, macro level here, who would you most like to see get traded to New England in terms of a wide receiver being added to help patch up this offense? 
either AJ Green or Allen Robinson. Yeah, A Rob, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, oh, I definitely wouldn't want it from a Bill standpoint, but I don't know if it makes sense for him to leave Chicago right now. No, uh, I mean Chicago I mean, wouldn't gotten, do that because they are still in playoff contention, and he's the best player on the team. I mean, if they trade him, that right. offense has nobody. So, um, but AJ Green makes a whole lot of sense for all parties involved. And there was actually a, a lip reading, so take that with a grain of salt, I suppose, of him on the uh, of him on the sideline saying something like, "We'll just trade me that." This was a few weeks ago. He has since seen a lot more volume than he had the previous couple weeks. Um, he is apparently right back in the mix in this offense. But at the same time, T. Higgins is like a better version of A.J. Green right now. Uh, you know, not not better than peak A.J. Green. Not Wait, at all. So but, then also, I what mean, about John Ross? I mean, he's oh, I mean, John, John Ross, Ross like, should have I mean, should already be, be shipped somewhere yeah, else. John Ross would be free. Like, yeah. Whether he's good or not. Uh, I mean, who knows? At least he has speed and has blown up in spots. So you just, you know. He can maybe create space downfield for Cam to just launch it to him. I mean, is at least adds a dimension to the offense. The only the only problem though, Jeff, is so they've got Cam on a one year deal, um, and you know that would make you think what they're trying to win. They might sign him to a longer term deal. Who knows? We'll see. He hasn't played well at all since returning from COVID. Um, but at the same time, they're rumored to be willing to shop basically anyone, including Stefan Gilmore, the, the all pro defensive player of the year from last year. Um, one of the best cornerbacks in the league hasn't quite played like it this year. But still, if they're willing to trade their best defensive asset after just giving him a big contract extension, that signals to me that they might be ready to blow it up and uh, see what they've got. Maybe in um, Jarrett Stidham some more or just kind of trudge through this year they're already two and four they're looking at the bills this week who um i think are a significantly better roster and better team we'll see it's it'll be interesting i think it's an interesting um thought thought process though to see like you know aj green in a patriots uniform could be kind of like the josh gordon saga i guess where uh he was dominant when he was on the field and so we'll see um, speaking of Allen Robinson, Jeff, he is looking likely to miss week eight with a concussion. You know, we talked about on the Tuesday episode, we said, do you have any concerns about him? Well, we'll see if he gets added to the concussion protocol. And guess what he did on Wednesday? Um, he did not practice on Thursday. I think that he's a very unlikely, I think he's very unlikely to play in week eight. And that's very unfortunate for, uh, you and I, who both have a lot of shares of him. I presume, um, I have him in the FS uh, SFBX squad and, Anyway, uh, it's it's unfortunate. I'm not really sure that this really impacts anyone on the offense that much. Um, the reason being, I'm not sure there's anyone that even if they got an uptick in volume, you'd really feel great about firing up. Maybe like a Darnell Mooney uh, would be an interesting DFS start. I mean, I guess theoretically David Montgomery's volume would probably go up even higher, but we already know that he's a, a volume-driven RB2 at the moment. So um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Any, uh, any change in Chicago's fantasy football landscape if A-Rod is out of the line. No, not really. Like you said, Mooney might get a little bit of an uptick. Could be kind of like your punt free square wide receiver three in DraftKings. Um, maybe Cordell Patterson sees a little bit extra work, but I don't really think it's enough to warrant anything more than like the deepest of leagues desperation play. And I think it also just makes the Saints defense a better play this week as well. Fair enough. Um, Jeff, Jalen Ragor, obviously the first round pick, a guy we've talked a ton about, uh, Philadelphia Eagle, 
uh, future star, we think. Um, he's set to return this week against Dallas. He only had that UCL injury in his thumb. And I say only because he's probably in great shape still, despite the multi-week absence. Um, I would expect him to hit the ground running, assuming he hasn't lost the ability to catch the football. So I think that the public is probably going to be underweight on Jalen Regor based on the potential he has to dominate against a, in a solid matchup with a decimated skill position group. Cause like Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz are not in, uh, Richard Rogers is, is, is there, but you know, remember he's like off the street almost. Uh, I think that Jalen Regor should see a lot of work. Um, despite Travis Fulgham, like vacuuming up all the targets in his absence, Greg Ward's still there. Miles Sanders looks likely to miss, like I already said. So Jalen Regor, Jeff, is he someone that in DFS showdown slates, because obviously it's a Sunday night game, is he someone that you would feel okay with, you know, firing up there, but also in season long desperation flex? Oh, he's safer than a desperation flex. And in showdown, he, you might as well just toss him in the captain spot. Love it. I love it. Or the Eagles it. defense. <laughs> That's actually, this could be the week. Anyway, okay, Jeff, last one. This is the way. Le'Veon Bell revenge game. This is this is probably the best week to have Le'Veon Bell in the last like three years. Jets, I mean, obviously it's a great matchup just in general, but as everyone knows, they just cut him because they cannot get along and, um, you know, figure out a good way to work together. Don't think he likes Adam Gase very much. And perhaps the Chiefs decide to feed him a little bit more than they might in general to help him, you know, you know, get that revenge. He saw a really solid opportunity shared last week for having only been on the team for about five days. So maybe that increases a little bit more, like 50%. Maybe they give him some of the uh, red zone and goal line work to inflate those touchdown numbers a little bit. And uh, really just kind of like stick it to Adam Gase in the Jets. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily the safest play from a uh, season-long standpoint. Maybe you can fire him up as a flex because, you know, he did do pretty well last week. And, uh, you know, the upside is there. From um, DFS standpoint, I think he's like definitely fine to toss in there as a, you know, like um, flex start throw because, uh, again, like the upside for the potential is there. Um, but is by far from the safest thing. Yeah, I, I think um, I think it's very easy to paint this narrative. I think he absolutely wants to decimate the, the Jets this week. Um, I know that the three teams he was ending up down to, which was Miami, the Bills, and the Chiefs, were playing the Jets in the, in the subsequent three weeks when he was making his decision. So this is the one that he's had marked on his calendar. When he was, when he was released, I think he said, I want to go play and show them show the world how they weren't getting the most from me. They, the, you know, they weren't getting Le'Veon Bell that is actually there. And so I think that if there is a game, I mean, I know that he just debuted for the Chiefs last week. If there's a game that you want to play Le'Veon Bell, I honestly think this is the one. And I think that's playing a lot into the narrative. But also he did, like you said, like you said, saw a pretty uh, decent share of the opportunities in week seven. We know that was kind of a weird game. So I'm not reading too, too much into that. But I actually think, after this game, it might be a good time to buy CEH because I think this could just be artificially skewed in Le'Veon Bell's favor. They're probably not going to be worried about this W whatsoever. Uh, so they might just say, hey, you know what? Let's just get this guy some work, make him feel good, and then go back to things as usual, which would be CEH as RB1A. That would be my expectation. Um, Jeff, let's move into our DFS preview part of our show now, and we'll start with favorite game stacks. 
Um, I want to hear yours. I have a few that that I have on my end as well. I'm sure there's going to be some overlap. Okay. Uh, the chalkiest one, but still most attractive, is the San Francisco versus uh, Seattle game. Um, you know, I mean, Russ has been absolutely cooking so far this year. Then, I mean, but then the Seattle secondary, as we know, is also pretty porous. So Jimmy G's also like solid um, fire up is there as well. I mean, he's a, a bit more inconsistent, but it'd be so easy to do Jimmy G, Kittle, Ayuk, uh, or Bourne. You could even, you know, mix in some McKinnon or Hasty, depending on which way you think that backfield's going to go. And then we know Seattle run it back with DK, run it back with Lockett. Um, and the other, other game stack is Cincinnati versus Tennessee. Um, you know, that one's also going to be up there on the chalk scale. Tannehill, I mean, Cincinnati's defense is weak. Tennessee's defense isn't as strong as expected coming into the year. And I think Clowney is expected to miss this game, which helps. So you're just going to have a lot of passing, a lot of scoring. And then a little bit off the radar, I think, is the Las Vegas versus Browns matchup. Um, I think pieces of those offenses are relatively cheap. Defenses are vulnerable, and I could see there being kind of a um, more points scored than expected in that game. Yeah, I I really like Tennessee Cincinnati um, this week. I think that it's it's a good it's a it's a high point total for for one thing. AJ Brown's playing out of this world. Ryan Tannehill's playing amazing. Obviously, Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati pass offense is voluminous as there as there is in the league right now. Um, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, AJ Green are all viable. So I think that this is there's almost like only almost too many options. I also think that this is not even to say you could potentially have Derrick Henry in it and Gio Bernard in it. So um, Johnny Smith, like there are so many options that it's almost it's almost too much. But I think that I, I'd be uh, crazy not to endorse that as at least a secondary game stack. And then I think a, a quietly good one, Jeff, is Buffalo, New England. I think people are looking at the New England offense saying, why would I dare <laughs> take any share of that right now? I mean, Cam Newton got benched last week because of such a bad defeat and or, you know, such a bad deficit in the first half. Um, and, you know, they just haven't given us really any reason to be that excited. Well, I would say, first of all, like I already said, Damian Harris, I think, is actually his stock is continuing to improve because they're going to have to be more and more reliant on the run game. That's also the thing that that won't get worse for Cam barring injury. He's always going to be a fantastic runner. He's just that's just who he is. Uh, Damian Harris also had 10 carries, 58 yards, and finally had a uh, reception as well, which was a nice little dump off that he turned into a solid gain. So Damian Harris is kind of a a sneaky, sneaky like RB3 type this week. And with that said, Buffalo is obviously a pretty porous run defense. But then on the other side of the ball, Josh Allen, a little bit depressed fantasy stock recently, but we know he's still playing at a very high level when you look at the season overall. And Evan Silva made a really good point this week that Josh Allen has decimated man-to-man coverage. And guess what? Stephon Diggs is probably the best route runner in the league, like we say all the time. So that feels like a great connection to exploit this week, even with Stephon Gilmore on the other side of the ball. Stephon Gilmore also apparently tweaked a knee this week. Maybe that's just him just saying, I'm going to stay stay off the field until you trade me kind of thing. I don't really know how how to read that situation. But an Allen Diggs, Harris... Uh, you know, game stack could be could be in play. You could add some Colt Beasley, Demir Bird, James White also should see a lot of work. 
in week eight. So that's another one that I like and totally endorse the Seattle, San Francisco uh, game stack as well. IU, Kittle, Lockett, DK. Come on. <laughs> that's like. Yeah, I'm in a little, I'm in some disagreement with you on that. Okay. Um, I think first, so I think you could do an Allen skinny stack, you know, like Allen and Diggs, Allen and Brown, um, especially with Gilmore being out. And I don't think you have to run it back. I mean, you could sprinkle in some like also Demir Bird or Jacoby Myers, but um, especially if Trey White does end up missing this game. But also there's weather reports right now that it's going to be like 20 plus mile per hour winds in Orchard Park on Sunday. The over-under opened at an already pretty low 46, and that's now down to 41. Mm. So easily the... Uh, the lowest point total on the slate. And um, yeah, so I don't want to be heavily exposed to it. I Like I said, I think because we know what Allen is capable of on the ground, I think you could skinny stack him, but I'm not expecting there to be a huge point total. And I'd rather maybe just like play the defenses, like, you know, have a little higher exposure to the defenses in this game. Yeah. But, you know, skinny stack Allen Diggs, I don't hate it, but I just, it's not one that I'm really trying to, get like overweight on this week that's fair i mean like like i said it's a sneakier stack it's uh it's not one that that stands out i think um i think in general it's a way to get low ownership uh because all the basically everyone involved has had a depressed fantasy stock in the last couple weeks um okay jeff let's build a lineup real quick go ahead and pick your favorite game stack and secondary game stack and let's see what comes out all right so let's see ryan Tannehill. Derek Henry, Jamal Williams, Tyler Lockett, Tyler Boyd, Adam Humphreys, Johnny Smith, DJ Dallas, Chiefs defense. Now, a little bit weak on the uh, wide receiver tight end stack with Tannehill, as opposed to having like AJ Brown in there, but that's also kind of how you get a little bit of that differentiation. Yep. As opposed to going a little chalkier, like Tannehill, Henry, AJ Brown, and you really got to find some more differentiation there. But another option would be Tannehill, Henry, Kareem Hunt. Keenan Allen, T. Higgins, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, John U. Smith, Jamal Williams. Yep, I like Williams. it. I like those. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think that that Cincinnati-Tennessee game is going to be a really, really strong stack to have this week. Um, Jeff, what other uh, standalone plays uh, are you looking at this week? I know that you are specifically targeting maybe uh, a tight end. Yeah, so uh, this is coming out of some early stage research by Josh Hermsmeyer. And he's comparing the quarterback tight end targets to defensive uh, tight end targets and where on the field they're allowed. So like heat maps. And he found that the uh, Justin Herbert to Hunter Henry matchup is like mirror opposite of the Broncos. So like where the, or I mean, depending on your point of view, like mirror opposite or like perfect match um, that Herbert is targeting Henry uh, successfully in the places where the Broncos have been most prone to tight ends. So I think Hunter Henry is tight end that I want to be quite a bit overweight on this week. And then sim- not, well, not as strong of a match, but similar type of uh, concept is that Eric Ebron against the, uh, the Ravens defense is kind of in a similar situation. So those are the two tight ends I want to be a little more overweight on this week. Okay, fair enough. Let's move on over to our best bet segment here. Um, I think we should start with the Pittsburgh-Baltimore matchup, which is going to be one of those must-watch games this week. Uh, it's just it's just always such a good 
gritty matchup. We know that these division rivals really, really want to beat each other, and both teams are loaded with talent on both sides of the ball. So Baltimore hasn't quite played up to the standard that they set for themselves last year. Pittsburgh has, I think, exceeded everyone's expectations just because there was some uncertainty about Big Ben's health and you know how this offense would click considering there were new pieces um, all around. And guess what? Pittsburgh has been on fire, but but Baltimore is favored by four points in this one. And that might be Vegas and just generally betters recognizing that Pittsburgh may be outperforming, Baltimore underperforming. It's got to change at some point, maybe. I don't know. I'm going Pittsburgh plus four in this one, Jeff. I think that betting against them at this point is not the move. I think this game is going to, I think this is closer to a pick em than the spread indicates. So that's why I like Pittsburgh plus four. Um, I also really like t- Titans minus six against Cincinnati and the over 52 and a half. I mean, I can't see a scenario where both teams aren't cooking. Uh, will that cook too much or too early? And then, you know, the Titans just kind of run out the clock with Derrick Henry. That's a possibility, but I still like the Titans minus six. And I like the chance at the over here because of just how voluminous the passing offense in Cincinnati is. And then the last one, I want to get your thoughts on this one because it's kind of like a lukewarm take, but Rams three and a half versus Miami. I think it's giving Tua and this offense a lot of credit in Miami because I don't know. I mean, the Rams are, you know, they're basically still what they they already were. And that has exceeded my expectations this year. I have started to recognize reality. I think they are a little bit fraudulent still. I always said, think they're fraudulent but with that said Jeff I don't know that we even know what Tua is as a rookie right now in this in this offense so am I wrong to think that the Rams minus three and a half feels like a good play no I think it's fine um as I guess the counterpoint would be Tua was probably the best prospect of the three coming out like aside from the ankle injury so if you look at the success that Burrow and Herbert have already been having like what's to say that Tua might not be Doing, might not come out and play even better than the other two. Well, I think the argument I, is that Burrow needed a week or two to warm up and uh, has had a ton, a ton, a ton of reps in order to really settle into and the NFL game. Sure. And Justin Herbert just kind of got thrown in the mix, has absolutely exceeded my expectations, but is also loaded with with skill position talent. Uh, and again, tons of opportunity. Tua has thrown a couple passes. <laughs> and who knows really how much how many practice reps he was getting. I think he's a great prospect. I think he's going to be fine. I'm just saying for this week, his very first start coming off the bye, maybe there's some some trickery or some magic that we haven't seen from Miami yet that would allow them to, you know, I guess catch the Rams by surprise. I don't know. Uh, I just think that playing the uncertainty game there and and making this a closer, closer spread, tighter spread, that just doesn't feel like the right move considering the Rams. We already know what they are and, and how capable they can be. So... That's my stance there. Any other bets that you want to call out this week, Jeff? I like the Chargers minus three against Denver. Uh, I just think they're like the talent gap there is like pretty modest or significant. Um, I'm not huge on Drew Locke. I mean, he's made some good plays, but I think the uh, mismatch in the trenches is probably going to like force Locke to throw the ball faster than he wants and the denver receiving core is pretty weak so give me the chargers minus three i like that uh, just a comical comical line is the chiefs minus 19 and a half <laughs> it's like the 10th time that because uh, they i think they they opened at maybe not open but they were at one point i think minus 22 point favorites um 
And I think that was the 10th time since the merger. It's been a three touchdown uh, spread. I think we saw one last year with the um, the Ravens over the, the Bengals, if I remember correctly. I could be talking out my ass, but uh, yeah, that is definitely a comical spread. <laughs> um, okay, good stuff. Let's move on and wrap up here with our Bills prediction for this week. Obviously, the Bills are sitting at 5-2. and two. We feel pretty damn strong about uh, the way this team is built. Obviously, still dealing with injuries. I guess, luckily, from a Bills perspective, the Patriots are dealing with injuries as well. And, I mean, their offense, like we already talked about, was just kind of injury-riddled. Their defense is still, you know, struggling, I guess, to to play at the level that we have come to expect, considering they had all the opt-outs. And now Stephon Gilmore's a little banged up and that sort of thing. So, to me, I think this is a Bills W. Uh, the wind and the weather definitely add a, a uh, another variable to the equation. I also think Cam Newton is probably going to play the best game we've seen from him in the last three weeks. Uh, that's not necessarily a hot take. I just think that he's played way, way below what we should be expecting from him. And Buffalo's defense hasn't given us that much to be uh, optimistic about, I suppose, in terms of shutting people down that are good individual players. Um, with that said, I like Buffalo 23-17. And that's uh, right around the over-under as well. So I, mean, I don't really have a strong take on on the over on the point total on this one, especially with the weather being a factor, I think that's probably something that we should be wary of. That's my stance there, and I think just overall we should come out of this one with another W and move to six and two. Jeff, any thoughts on the Bills game against New England? Mm, Bills by ten. Bills by ten. I love it. Okay, this is uh this is a team uh complete complete narrative based take here. Uh, haven't played their best ball in a few weeks. I think they're kind of getting tired about being doubted and questioned and now going up against the big, bad Patriots who have dominated the division for two decades. I think they're going to come out and play the best ball we've seen from them this month. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. Um, let's hope that we are both correct and that we get a W and a substantial one at that. Um, okay, with that said, Jeff, any final thoughts as we wrap up our Halloween episode here? Obviously, episode 58, looking ahead at the weekend. Anything else you want to tell our listeners before we sign off? Uh, I don't know. Pumpkin spice is overrated. <laughs> Jeff, you just opened up a can of worms for me. Uh, yes, I completely agree. It's it's not even the real flavor, by the way. It's the spice. It's not the pumpkin. So I'm with you. Um, okay, that'll do it. Guys, make sure to check out our other episodes from earlier in this week. That's obviously episode 56 and 57. Respectively, those are our week seven recap and our week eight buys and sells. Both were strong episodes. I think you would get a lot by listening to them. Obviously, as we say every week, make sure to check out The Rock and the DFS Optimizer tools on the website. That's contestacatch.com forward slash ROC and forward slash DFS respectively. So uh, with that said, Jeff, Appreciate you being here on a busy Halloween Friday and weekend. Thank you all for listening. We wish you guys the best of luck going into this weekend, and we'll catch you next time. 